Welcome to the Final Score Network and the Final Score Podcast, presented by Team Anders Realtors. I'm Andy. He's former D3 student athlete, two-year starter, consummate glue guy, and co-host... Ryan! Damn! Two-man monster flush! Off the inbound! Ryan Cam Slam Jam! Find us on Podbean, the Apple Podcast Store, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at TheFinalScore35. There is always plenty to run through, but before we get to it, a word from our presenting sponsor. Service from the heart to become your Realtors for Real Life is Team Anders Realtors' mission. Team Anders helps its clients find the home that best fits their needs and makes the process simple and fun along the way. Team Anders will be in close communication with you personally taking care of your real estate needs through technology, marketing, and advertising. They have served thousands of clients over 30 plus years in the Grand Rapids, Michigan area, and are here to serve you today. Learn more at teamanders.com. Ryan is still on the road with 10 to 12 hour days racking up, but hey, the show must go on a little bit late this week as we tried to figure out ways to get Ryan involved and Alas, we just couldn't. Couldn't stay awake at night. Uh, but anyway, for the first time since we've started, it'll just have to be me flying solo. So for the Ryan fans out there, bear with me. He'll be back with us next week. A lot, and I mean a lot, has gone down in the past week. Really in the past few days, especially headline-wise. So much so that I'm jamming part of it in my podium since we already had aligned on our agenda in advance of all the craziness this week. Jump into the fray and comment, agree, disagree, ask for other topics via our Twitter. Short of that, no sense delaying, let's go to the podium, and I'll take the lectern. So for my podium, all right, so I usually pick out one thing and typically rail on it pretty good. I've heard a lot of you kind of like it when I go a particular direction. You may like a little bit of this, although I'm not going to give you as much meat on some of these things, uh, even though down the road I probably could and maybe would. Uh, But anyway, there are so many fresh things out there this week alone that I had a hard time settling on one. So I'm going to go three specific places. A little bit of NBA, a sprinkle of college hoops, and maybe a month early, but Olympics. Here goes. Let's start with Ben Simmons and his 34%. 34% free throw shooting. Not guarded, 15 feet from the basket, Been the same shot your whole life, 34% in the playoffs. A big part of Philly's choke job against the Hawks. 34% for a guard. Lots of stories ensued after that series, too. Dude is collecting a paycheck, and I'm telling you, he doesn't seem to care about the rest. Maybe that's harsh, maybe not. But I'm telling you what, it's true. Dude, Ben, get your ass in the gym and fix that broke shot. You let your team down, and if that alone doesn't drive you to get in there and shoot a 1,000 free throws a day, you never will. Staying in the league, how about the super teams, Lakers and now Nets, getting their asses kicked? So glad to see that. Maybe if a team like the Hawks, built a lot more like the old Pistons with Trey as their Zeke, gets it done, we can see an end of this talent hoarding BS. And I'd be remiss if I didn't OMG, did you see that, to the Suns-Clippers game ender the other night. I mean, wow. If you missed it, look it up. Incredible. See, I'm not all about the bad stuff in the podium always. Uh, But 
quickly, or return to bad. Anyone catch what ESPN analyst and Fab Five cake taker Jalen Rose had to say about Team USA? He referred, no lie, to Kevin Love as a token white guy, undeserving of the selection. So how is that right when if the shoe was on the other foot, it would be incredibly insensitive and flat out wrong? This is to Jalen. Shut up and just go away. We could have easily teed him up for that. Hate Jalen anyway, but to say something so incredibly stupid as that, using your platform for that, just makes you look like a flat-out idiot. All right, now that we're back to earth with the stuff that grinds on me, next up, what in the wide world of sports is going on at Wisconsin? Clearly, someone wanted to get Coach Greg Gard into hot water or that lengthy taped convo between he and the seven seniors about their personal relationships and feelings on trust would not have been leaked. When one of your best players, Nate Reavers in this case, says, and I quote, I can't talk to you. I just don't want to talk to you. After this, coach, I don't know what type of relationship we're going to have if we have one. Ouch. Now, I'm guessing Bo Ryan was every bit a dick as Greg Gard, but... He won Big Tens and got the Final Fours, so you deal with it a little bit more that way. It'll be really interesting to see what happens with guard, as a lot of key guys already bolted for the portal. Sadly, I bet this lack of relationship is all too common across college sports in general and at all levels, because the coaches get more caught up in the results than the why they began coaching in the first place. It'll be interesting to see what happens here, but this is pretty messy and can have a huge impact on recruiting. All right. I've saved the real flames for last to the transgender, and that part is for another day, if we even go down that road, to the transgender Olympic qualifier that said he, she, whatever, I can't even remember what it, if it was a male to female, female to male, that's regardless, what, if, that they wanted to win a medal so they could burn a flag on the podium. You can F straight off. If your agenda is to misrepresent the USA that way, get out. You compete in the Olympics for love of your sport and country. There are others who come to mind here too, like the women's soccer players who are anti the anthem. This is not your platform for that. You may think it is. Some may disagree me and think it is. It is not your platform, not the Olympics. This is a place to celebrate coming together as a nation and competing for the red, white, and blue. I have zero respect for your ideals and platforms when you tread on the very country that allows you the freedom to be who and what you want to be. Problem is, no one on the USA OC will have the balls to talk to these people. You might disagree, and that's fine, but there is a time and a place and method in burning the flag or disrespecting the national anthem at the Olympics when representing the United States of America ain't it. All right, let's move to the tee-up segment. One piece of good news is this podcast will probably be a lot shorter for you if you want to try to jam it in in a shorter period of time when it's just me talking. So tee it up. Um, We could have definitely teed up that a lot of people in that last group for sure, uh, but I wanted to rant about some of those things. Um, But since we're coming off an epic U.S. Open, here's who we're going to tee up and why. First, well, let's start with who we're going to tee up. We're going to tee up the golf fans and their friends phones. Now, let me start with a positive. Seeing and hearing fans back at sporting events is huge and a long time coming. I've made no bones about my feelings on that. 
but an age-old issue also returned for all pro golf not played at Augusta. Fans in their phones. And I say not play, not at Augusta because if you didn't know, you can't bring your phone on the grounds. No taking pictures, no taking videos, etc. Dudes and dudettes, get your damn faces out of your phones and just be in the moment. And if you must be the person who constantly clamors to get viral fame for something crazy that you you know caught on video, for crying out loud, put your damn phone on silent. How hard is it? I mean, when you got a guy who loves fans and adores fans and is adored by fans as much as Phil Mickelson, just constantly stopping throughout his rounds to give people dirty looks, freaking pay attention. It's not that hard. It's a switch. I say leave it at home altogether, but whatever. Your choice. Look, Ryan and I play with music on when we play golf. I don't, there's no problem with that, but we're amateurs. You know, I, in fact, I just ordered the magnetic Bushnell cart GPS speaker, but if the pros are distracted at their office, i.e. the course, by cell phone clicks, turn them off. How hard is that? Honestly, I'd love to see them banned like they are at Augusta. More so because people aren't enjoying the big picture anymore, just what appears in a 2x5 screen. Either way, tee up the morons who haven't figured out how to silence their phones, and I'd suggest again, just leave them at home. All right, let's go around the world. And this is definitely a lighter without Ryan, and I'm missing his takes, especially because we're not sitting right here and, and I don't have some pre-thoughts on what he's going to say. I was looking forward to his recordings, but in some of these, as you'll hear, we'll uh, we'll ask him for some of his opinions when he gets back with us uh, later next week. So spot number one, the U.S. Open really is my favorite golf tournament to watch, and last week was super memorable, so let's start and give that a review for spot number one. Um, I know, for a fact, Ryan didn't see as much of it with his schedule and a fun little day trip to Boston last weekend, but I know he would have had plenty to weigh in on. Um, I know he was pretty pumped with the way that it went down, just the fact that it was a close leaderboard. You know, stars were rising and falling uh, the whole time, so we're probably pretty spot-aligned here. I can't remember off the top of my head who he picked to win. I don't know how he fared in his bets, but uh, for me, while, while yes, I had a handful of bets out, um, I did pick my fourth winner this year, so thanks, John Rahm, for the extra 50 bucks in my pocket. Uh, my other big bet, Xander Schauffele, he was right in the mix, but never could quite put it all together. Webb, Will, Tony, Phil, and they didn't do me you know, many favors, but it was an epic tournament to watch. You know, For me, to see the best players in golf fall in and out of contention as Sunday unfolded was a thing of beauty, and that's why I love, especially the majors, but especially the U.S. Open, because that tends to happen. Um, it was ready-made for, you know, ready-made for TV and drama, one by one, guys took a lead, and then they threw up on their shoes, and I loved every minute of it. If you've ever seen the meme of Michael Jackson a la Thriller eating the popcorn with a smile on the edge of his seat, that was me on Father's Day. I felt for Henley and Hughes, who weren't quite ready for the moment, but actually cheered aloud when, with Brooks and Bryson sputtering to the finish. I have made no bones about it, and I'm going to do it again, especially with a couple stories Ryan might be able to indulge us in uh, when he gets back. Um, especially uh, about Brooks and kind of what a jerk he is um, to other players in practice rounds and things like that. But I was not disappointed to see those two sputter. Um, just not a fan, although I will admit I've got money on Bryson to win this week uh, and recover nicely. Uh, we'll see how he does um, at the Travelers. But anyway, uh, the U.S. Open makes average golfers like me 
feel like it isn't always a walk in the park for the best of the best either. And that is actually motivating. Um, and it's kind of fun to watch. It's, it's fun to watch these guys struggle, to be honest, and, and have to try to recover and, and make great shots and make great plays to win. Um, I did feel for Louis Oosthuizen, a.k.a. Shrek. Um, he's become kind of the fill of all majors, always the bridesmaid, never the bride. I think that was his sixth runner-up. Um, tough time to pull a drive there on 17 with OB left, but it, again, made for a fun watch. I know Rom is a bit polarizing and can be kind of whiny and brooding and temperamental, and that's you know one of the things that's a drawback for people. But his finish, the first with back-to-back final round birdies since 1982 when Tom Watson did it, was legendary. Those were not easy putts either. And the way he was with his baby son and his wife and then Phil on the range as he prepped for a potential playoff really, in my mind, humanized him and made him... Of course, he was a worthy champion the way he played, but a worthy champion from the overall perspective. Um, you know, especially the way it went all, you know, all went down at the memorial where he was running away with it. And by far, this was really poetic justice, likely the first of many for the big fella and color me a fan of his now. Um, I would say the only thing that would have made this whole thing better for me was Phil being in contention, but as The Athletic, or maybe it was Golf.com, said perhaps his six runner-ups and no win in the U.S. Open actually add to his lore. The fans sure didn't care about his standing because they followed him and drove Sunday, despite him being way out of contention and being one of the first groups out, in fact. Um, All in all, while maybe not the best Open I've seen, it was right up there, especially the finish. Uh, I hate runaway winners, really, in anything when I'm going to sit down and watch it, and this was far from that. Kudos to the USGA for set up in an excellent tourney. Um, now Ryan and I just need to trek to San Diego to play that track. All right, on to spot number two. We're going to shift gears because that's what we do on the TFS pod. Uh, last week, Ryan and I did a Mount Rushmore of our four most underrated Spartan basketball players of the Izzo era. This week, I'm going to give you my starting five of all-time glue guys, regardless of era. We're going to bring this one back for Ryan at some point because I know that he'll have thoughts on this. He probably did a little bit of homework on it. And, you know, we may have some guys that are the same. In fact, I I know of probably one for sure that we would. And I don't know if he just took the five best glue guys or went by position. Um, You know, I, I looked at it like this. I could take this as just the five best glue guys or by position. But I decided to go with the premise of by position to see where it goes. So it'd be interesting um, to get your comments on our Twitter uh, if you agree or disagree with any of these. Point guard. Is there anyone, star or not, that epitomizes glue guy more than Mateen Cleaves? Or as some would say, Mateen. Uh, Generally, your glue guy is a player like, well, my co-host. Willing to do all the dirty work. Doesn't get the glory. Holds things together through thick and thin on and off the court. But not generally the guy. Cleves broke that quote-unquote rule. His arrival to Michigan State changed the tenor of the program. Hell, Izzo's son has Mateen in his name. Um, I watched this week, it was on uh, Big Ten Network, the MSU-UNC early season game from 99-2000 the other night, and there was an injured Cleves being a total glue guy and cheerleader for his team while he couldn't play at the Dean Dome. Mateen gets my nod here in so many ways. He was the glue that got us a national title. Shooting guard. All right, this one I would admit was a little tougher for me. 
Uh, on one hand, you got a guy like Tim Bagracos, walk-on turned hero against Kentucky, played a lot of key moments um, throughout the later parts of his career as a defender. You know, he came in multi-sport talented. People kind of forget that, but I think he was a three or four sport athlete in high school and worked his ass off to make the team better, which is what walk-ons do. Uh, but on the other hand, you've got another guy like Matt McQuaid. Now, he was a little bit more of a star recruit, certainly. Stepped into different roles and positions as needed. He could play a little bit of point guard. Definitely was a shooter, I think, to that you know Michigan game, Big Ten Championship his senior year. Um, you know, after Arns went down, especially the way he carried us, you know, defensively, he would get us stops. He made key buckets, super likable by all of his teammates and coming back to be on the Michigan State coaching staff. So I'm going to make one of these guys my sixth man, and I'm going to kind of go with two glue guys at shooting guard. All right, now small forward, Draymond. I mean, really, is there any other guy that epitomizes glue guy better than Draymond Green? Like Cleves. Obviously, one of the biggest stars in MSU history. He's got his name up in the rafters. But talk about a player who would do whatever it took to carry his team, keep them together, fill a hole, play a role, and still does in his pro gig. And congrats, Draymond, on your Team USA appointment for the Olympics. Draymond was an everything guy and maybe the best glue guy of them all, period. All right, moving to power forward. I could have gone with one of my favorite underrated players, Andre Hudson, here, but I got to go with another former walk-on, Kenny Goins. I think Ryan had him and his underrated players last week. He played his roles. He did what the team needed. Sometimes it was defense. Sometimes it was playing center as a 6'7", really small forward slash power forward. Um, Other times it was rebounding. Against Duke, it was only... Oh, you know, nothing but hitting perhaps the biggest and most important shot for MSU since sometime in the 2000 championship season. I mean, he was undersized for the power forward, underlooked for sure. He was recruited by Mac schools and things like that. But without him, MSU probably doesn't make that run back in 2019, especially after losing Josh Langford. Because Kenny had to become a threat to score from the outside to kind of counterbalance that. So from that standpoint, I look at Kenny, played through a lot of injuries and things too, as my power forward glue guy. Center, I know Ryan would pick this guy. I think he mentioned him last week. He's one of Ryan's all-time favorites. He's one of my all-time favorites, Matt Costello. Never the guy on any of his teams, but always a critically important guy. Energetic, a battler, funny guy. Made teammates better. Had guys' backs. What else could you ask for? In 2016, when I was doing a little bit of research too, SI even named Matty C the captain of their all-glue guy team for that year. Totally agree with that. He's probably right up there. I mean, didn't win a national championship like Mateen. He's not a Draymond skill-wise, but I mean, he's he's definitely lock, stock, and barrel. My center glue guy. All right. Spot number three. This one's become kind of our slot for Mount Rushmore, and while we will change sports, we're going to stay with Michigan State for this one. Shocker, we're a couple Spartans. Um, This one is my Mount Rushmore of most important players of the Mark D'Antonio era. It could be stars, it could be game changers, whatever fits. Um, Definitely put some thought into this, because obviously with football, you're not talking Coleman through a roster of 12 to 15 guys. You're talking dozens of guys that could potentially be year in and year out. So I look at this is actually a really interesting one to dig into. Um, to boil down to the four most important guys of an era as long as the and long and successful as the D'Antonio era is no small task. 
For me, I have to start with who I consider to be the most important player from Coach D's first year or two, Javon Ringer. He was MSU's rock at the start and carried them to early Coach D success. I mean, literally carried them to success. I can still remember him busting a long TV, TD run at Michigan in 2008, a year after the heartbreaking and now infamous Mike Hart game from 2007. And that was on a busted up knee. Still one of my all-time favorites in Michigan State football history, Javon Ringer. For my next one on my Mount Rushmore of key, most important D'Antonio guys, I'm not straying too far away from those early formative years. I'm going with Greg Jones, number 53. Jones was a beast, two-time All-American, three-time All-Big Ten, among career leaders in MSU tackle for loss, sacks, and tackles. He was the early face of the program um, because he was really there. I think his tenure was like the 07 to 10, so he was the first four years of D'Antonio and really, you know, helped set the tone for who we were. Third, I'm going to go with Jeremy Langford. Uh, the catalyst of the 2013-14 season that ended up with a Big Ten title and the first Michigan State Rose Bowl berth since the 87-88 season. A perfect example of a guy who waited for his chance and seized it. You know, think about today, he probably would have entered the transfer portal right away. As it is, he went from running back to wide receiver to defensive back, back to running back, and was the reason, more so than even Connor Cook, for MSU's rise in that kind of 13 to 15 range, those three seasons. Um, You know, he had it for the one. Imagine what he could have done um, if he was the star back for, for three years there instead. And last but not least, the man, the myth, the legend, Kirk Cousins. Now, he doesn't have the overall record of Connor Cook. He didn't take Michigan State to the Rose Bowl or the Cotton Bowl or the CFP, but he epitomized Michigan State's culture under Coach D. Three-time captain, did it right and still does, on and off the field. Beat Michigan not once, not twice, not three times, but four times. Not very many people can say that. He led the Spartans to the first D'Antonio-led Big Ten title in 2010. My man, Kirk Cousins, my probably my favorite Michigan State, all-time Michigan State football player, definitely a critical player um, of that Mount Rushmore for D'Antonio. Now, of course, be remiss, as we always do, we always have more guys that could make the list with an honorable mention. These guys definitely got some consideration, all of them key in their own ways. Darquez Denard, Trey Waynes, you know, no-fly zone. They really changed the perception of our defense. Shalit Calhoun really carried Michigan State early the year that they handed the reins to Connor Cook that Rose Bowl year because we couldn't score. We didn't have a quarterback. Um, scored like three touchdowns in the first few games. Connor Cook, I, I mean, how can you go against it? He put up some amazing stats, and he, like I said, got us to the Rose Bowl, got us to the Cotton Bowl, got us to the CFP. And then Le'Veon Bell, head case or not in the NFL, um, he could get our tee-up award for you know some of his behavior behavior lately too but you know he definitely would be honorable mention to be carved up on that mark d'antonio rock all right on to spot number four this one was a listener submitted topic um and a thought-provoking one um and i'm not going to be able to do this as much justice as ryan so we may need to ask him uh down the road but the question that came in was what mindset makes for a winning athlete 
what drives the greats? Is it talent? Is it confidence? Is it religion or faith? Is it support systems? Is it coaching, mentors, all of it, some of it, none of it? Um, it would really be interesting to hear what Ryan's take was since obviously he was a college athlete. Um, but we're going to toss him this one when he comes back because I think it'd be interesting to get his take. We may have a little bit of around the world overtime next week just to catch up on some of his thoughts here. But, um, you know, of course, I can only speak anecdotally as a fan and just somebody who strongly observes sports and has raised a couple of student college student athletes. Um, you know, so obviously not at all from an actual athlete perspective, but I have a couple thoughts. Surprise, surprise. Um, I personally think it's really a little bit of all of the above, but it's personalized to the person. Now, obviously, that seems kind of obvious, but I'll get into it. So first of all, for me, it, it's got to start with talent. If you don't have that as a base, and it doesn't even have to be incredible talent because there are stars in all sports who overcome what we consider to be average talent um, for their level. But regardless of most talented ever or someone who stands at least just above the average crowd, you can't necessarily have a winning athlete with a winning mindset if you, um, without having talent. If, if you could, more people would be winning athletes, right? I mean, there's got to be something that kind of draws a little bit of the line. So I think it's at least a sprinkle of talent. Talent definitely matters. Confidence also critical, but it's got to walk a line. It can't be flat-out arrogance. Arrogance doesn't win. Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Muhammad Ali, those guys were confident. Maybe an unpopular opinion, one I've shared many times before, but LeBron James is an example of someone who toes the line of arrogance. He definitely swings back and forth. Supremely confident, yes, at times super arrogant. He has some of the most supreme athleticism and talent of all time, but doesn't have more titles because, I will say, of arrogance. When he learned it took five guys together, he's won. When he strays from that and gets cocky, he doesn't. So I think confidence of, of your top athletes makes for a winner. Religion or faith? Now, this is an interesting one. Lots of people will have a lot of opinions on this and could debate it. Um, some might argue that it doesn't matter in the least. But if you really, really analyze guys that are winners or girls that are winners you'd find it, some measure of it. Maybe it's not outward, you know, first I'd like to thank God. Maybe it's just, you know, a little bit more um, subconscious or you have to kind of peel back the layers to see it. Um, you know, and, and like I said, might not be as outward as, say, a Tim Tebow. Um, they may be out with it, but not in your face, like a Kurt Warner or Kirk Cousins. Definitely kind of brought it to the forefront, but didn't belabor it, like maybe a, a Tebow. But I bet if you analyze the best of the winners, you'd find this element for sure. And again, it could be religion, which is a little bit more Tebow or a little bit more Cousins or a little bit more Warner. Or it could be faith, which is a little bit more encompassing. But I guarantee you that there's something in there because at the end of the day, when the chips are falling against you, you those guys that win and the guys that are successful or the girls that are successful in things have got to have that to fall back on, to have that faith that they can overcome. Um Finally, I'm going to lump support systems, coaching, mentors all into one, and yes to all of it. A lack of something may drive an initial desire, um, but there is always someone or a family or a group behind everyone great. Always. It could be a parent. It could be a grandparent, a friend, an aunt, an uncle, a coach, a cousin, a peer, a competitor, a mentor. It doesn't really matter. Every person with success was pushed 
or guided or encouraged by someone along the way. Whatever your word, to, you know, to take on um, aspects and attitude of a winner, someone got them there. Um, it doesn't matter, you know, which which of those it was. If it was pushed, guided, encouraged, that's what I meant by whatever your word. Um, it, it takes somebody behind the person. Um, and you often hear athletes talk about that too. Like you look at Michael Jordan's a great example. Look what the death of his father did to him. His his father was a driving force for him. Not because he was super talented or he was his coach or anything like that, but he was he was that that support, right? Um, and you can see that across the board with a lot of these um, top level athletes. So let's talk about what happens when athletes fail. We know what happens. It does all the time. Tiger Woods had a fall from grace, a very unceremonious fall from grace. Athletes lose, quote, it. They lose focus. They lose desire. They lose the mentality. They lose their minds. Um, it's when one or more of the mentioned ingredients is omitted or changed or overlooked, in my opinion. And a difference from athlete to athlete, because we're human and no two of us are the same, but that would be my non-athlete, non-psychologist take, is it takes a bit of all of those things. And I really would like to get Ryan's perspective because he's lived and breathed it for so long um, and competed at, you know, the highest level that he could, which is division three, um, still a college sport, still less than three and a half percent of all male high school basketball players go on to play college. So we will definitely save this one to ask Ryan for later as well. All right, flying right along here in about half the time of our usual podcast, let's get to spot number five and got to go back to golf. Of course, we didn't have a golf course review because Ryan is working a golf tournament um, and I just sat around and watched a lot of golf because, well, Ryan's one of my only regular golf buddies that lives close. So I guess I'm going to have to find another one in case he keeps traveling. Anyway, we started this one a while back uh, with and with no, again, no course reviews on tap. So why not go back to the golf.com top 100 courses you can play. And we're going to take a look this week at numbers 51 through 75. What we've played, top five we'd want to. Um, it's always fun to look at these places and dream. And I say dream because the cost can be, unless you're super rich, prohibitive. As you heard a month or so ago, we speak from experience. After playing number 16 on the list, Harbortown Golf Links, and got out of there for about 450 with a four caddy. It's definitely worth it, but not something you could do week, week over week. And a lot of the courses on these lists are big money courses. So on the list, out of today's group, I've been fortunate to play number 55, uh, Mauna Kea, on the Big Island in Hawaii. And Ryan and I have both played number 56, Arcadia Bluff South, a couple of times. Mauna Kea was amazing. I played it twice, and it didn't disappoint with its layout or its views. The par 3 over the ocean that is uh, in the photo for the story on golf.com is even more incredible in person. I can attest. I have my own pictures of it. Uh, and the Bluffs South Course is a gem as well here in Michigan over, not on Lake Michigan, just up the street and across the street in an old apple orchard. Um, it's it's so different from its sister, you know, Bluffs Course on Lake Michigan, but it is absolutely worth your time and money. And it's not quite as expensive. Other than those, there are five that stand out to me right away in this list to play. Um, and I'm going to guess that likely some of them are the same as Ryan would pick because we often 
have conversations about this when whether we're sitting in the hot tub or sitting in the golf cart or whatever. Um, so I would say first we got to start with a few in our own backyard on this list in this grouping in Michigan. Probably perhaps the most underrated and underappreciated state, I would say, when it comes to world-class courses. If you're not from Michigan and you like golf and you've never played in Michigan, get your ass here in the summer, especially in June. Our days are light. From You can play from 6.15 in the morning until 10 o'clock at night. You can play three rounds if you want to, and we've got a boatload of great golf from you know, the very corner down by Toledo all the way up to the very corners of the UP. Um, I'm going to make this mine a two-stop road, road trip to start. First, we're going to head north to play the number 73 course on the list, and that's Tom Weisskopf's Forest Dunes. Um, there's also the loop there, which I think is either in the next grouping or was even in the, in the uh, 25 to 50 group. Um, but then I'm going to venture another six hours or so north to play Gray Walls in Marquette. Uh, the season is way shorter up there in the Great White North, but the course is always on these lists and is a must-play in my book at some point in time. Um, next I'm going to do is I'm going to go an hour and a half south and play one of the most reasonable courses on the entire list, number 70, the Warren course at Notre Dame. It's hosted some some senior PGA events. Um, it's only it's 70 bucks for the max fee to play there. Yes, please. That's definitely in my wheelhouse um, for my last two out of these, I've got to go with number 51, uh, which is the Greenbrier in West Virginia. You know, they play a um, PGA tournament there. Just looks spectacular in the mountains there. I've played it a lot on video games. And then, of course, I you know, number 72 in the host of this year's U.S. Open, Torrey Pine South. I mean, you, you've got to go and play Torrey Pine South, in my opinion. Um, you know, you can even keep it in the U.S. Open format there as long as I've got a fork ready to help me find my ball when it goes down in the rough. Um, it'd be kind of kind of fun for a hole or two anyway to try to chop out of that rough because, trust me, I would be there a lot more than I would be in those ribbon-narrow fairways. All right, one place we did get some information from Ryan because it was easy via text is our sprint. Let's end, as we always do, with our sprint. Um, I'm going to go through what they were. I'll give you his answers one by one, and then we'll come back and I will do my sprint um, kind of a little bit across the board here for something a little bit different. We try to keep this interesting from week to week. A little bit related to some of our topics. First player you think of when you see the Spartan head logo, Ryan says Javon Ringer, who was on my list of um, one of the Mount Rushmore guys. Second, if your only way to see a U.S. Open was via a hang glider, a la those at Tory that you saw if you watched the broadcast, are you in or hell nah? Ryan said, no way. <laughs> and he and I have been up in a hot air balloon. That's, I think, a little different story. Anyway, number three, bigger choke, nets or sixers? Ryan says nets. And favorite Adam Sandler movie, Ryan says grown-ups probably both of them they're on tv all the time but they are pretty damn funny all right so mine still and probably always will be the one person when i see the spartan head logo that i think of is Irvin magic johnson my first taste of michigan state back in 1979 sitting on my dad's lap watching the michigan state indiana state game that smile that national championship anytime i see Irvin, i think michigan state or anytime i see the spartan head logo i think Urban Magic Johnson. Um, I'm going to go with a big old hell nah on hang gliders. Hot air balloon, a little different. I'm in a basket. Eh, I don't trust those things. No way. 
Looked pretty cool. Looked like a cool view, but no thanks. Uh, bigger choke, Nets. Best non-title team money can buy, right? Um, favorite Adam Sandler movie. You know, there's a, there's, you know, it feels like we maybe did this one before. I don't know. I can't keep it straight because we jump all over the place with movies and music and stuff. But he's kind of, you know, for a lot of people, he's kind of a love or hate. I personally like really most of his stuff. I haven't seen all of it. I don't like all of it. Um, could have gone Waterboy. Could have gone Happy Gilmore. You might recognize Happy Gilmore here in the clothes. Um, but I'm going to go with a classic date night movie, one that I still will look up and just sit and watch with a wife, 50 First Dates. All right, Ryan's not here to give us his closing thoughts, so I will do it in one fell swoop. That's it for this week. Ryan will be back next week, so we'll toss out a pre-4th of July pod later in the week uh, to give you something to listen to while stuck in traffic waiting to get to the beach. Um, as Ryan always says, follow us, engage with us on Twitter. We want your followership. We need your followership. We appreciate your opinions. Let us know what you want to hear about. And again, a special thank you to Team Anders Realtors, our presenting sponsor. Let Team Anders take care of your realty needs. Visit teamanders.com. Meantime, if I saw myself in clothes like that, I'd have to kick my own ass.